Aqua Lads and Aqua Lasses. Welcome back into the Aqua Cave podcast feed. You have selected for your journey, Top Man. So, it is Top Man. That means it's list-based entertainment. So let's decide what our topic is for today. I kind of love how cheesy it is every time I say that. All right, so... Aside from being a very special episode of Top Man, oh, I, I, let me let me rewind that. It is a very special episode of Top Man because, according to the numbers that appear in front of the episodes, this is the 50th anniversary of the Aqua Cave releasing a podcast. If you use the WWE logic, or it just happens to be the 50th episode. Now, cool. Glad I made it. Uh, but because it's a fun, like, nice, even round number, I wanted to cover a fun topic. Okay, that one I didn't mean to say. But today's topic are going to be four smaller lists, all centered around the same topic. That topic is the 1986 film that is absolutely amazing Transformers the movie. Not the shitty Michael Bay ones. Well, most of them are shitty. So, so why cover that topic? All right. Well, as a kid, I watched it a lot. I rented this bad boy from the video store a lot. And then in the early 90s, they broadcasted on Fox TV with cool like commercial break intros and outros where like a little kid was held by a gigantic Optimus Prime and they were like, "Oh, Billy, are we going to come back and watch the Transformers the movie after some commercials? And Billy was like, sure thing, Optimus, yeah! However, unfortunately, the tape that I was using to tape it on ran out of room. And uh, right after the uh, uh, Galvatron and Hot Rod battle, uh, the tape cut out, and it broke my fucking heart. And then, in my junior year of high school... I was wandering around a, a, a media store at a mall called uh, Hastings, I think it was. And, you know, they sold, like, video games, records, uh, I mean, games, shit like that. I'm digging through the soundtrack section of CDs, just looking for basically nothing, just killing time. And for the first time in the history of my life, I saw a CD for the soundtrack of Transformers the Movie. And if you've seen Transformers the movie and like Transformers the movie, you know that that soundtrack is the holy fucking grail. I purchased that CD with the last dollars in my pocket. Don't feel bad for me. All right. (laughs) I was a kid. It doesn't matter. That's what my money was for. Um, And I loved that fucking CD. And this is the old one, the original, with only 10 tracks. And then my junior year of college... Uh, My car was broken into, and all my CDs were stolen, and my heart was broken. But that's just sort of a side story. I've tried to... So, look, Transformers the movie means a lot to me personally, all right? I think a lot of people that are still in love with it to this day feel very, very fondly about it. It's not like it's Citizen Kane or some shit, all right? Although they both feature Orson Welles. I want to point that out to you right there. So before I get into the list, I, I, I kind of wanted to, I, I sat down and I thought to myself, why does it resonate with me? Like, why is it such a big thing for me? And the last time I watched it was exactly one year ago in August of 2021 when I, I had COVID and I couldn't do anything for like five days. You know, I was in quarantine, even in my house, 
you know, didn't talk to my family much. And I was just like, all right, well, I guess I'm just going to blow through my, you know, digital video collection. And I owned it on Amazon Prime and I, I watched it for the first time in a long time as an adult to like watch it, watch it. And it just blew me away how thoroughly entertained I was for 86 minutes. I didn't look away, which is kind of tough for me when I'm, you know, if I'm in a movie theater, it's different. I can give you all my focus and attention. But this movie owned me completely. And then when I decided I wanted to cover it, I repurchased the film in ultra crisp HD and watched it. And my God, I still felt the exact same way. But, you know, Transformers, the the cartoon, I mean, I watched it as a kid. I I don't want to say I wasn't a huge fan. I was certainly a fan. I mean, it's such a cool concept. I love the toys. I was big into the toys and, and you know, tried to, col- I wouldn't say collect them, tried to collect them to play with them. You know, tried to get as many as I could. I never did get a copy of my favorite, which was Jazz. And then, this was reinforced when as, a, as an adult or a, a teenager or whatever, I watched The Shining and met Scatman Crothers via The Shining and uh, realized how much of a badass the man is. And it just reinforced my love for jazz. So, like I say, the show is the show itself is fine. I'm not some sort of Transformers expert. I understand that Transformers the movie exists, you know, not only as a, as a as a piece of entertainment, but it exists to bridge the gap between a couple of seasons where the next season was going to basically have an all new lineup of Transformers. I understand the Transformers that I know probably the best are called the G1 Transformers, but this is not a, you know, this isn't going to be the podcast where I'm going to dive into the different versions of the, you know, what have you. It's just, this is the movie, all right? But I, I tried to figure out what what the deal was with this, where the love comes from with it, where, where the passion comes from, and I think I've sort of nailed down a piece of the puzzle, all right? So growing up as a kid, I watched Transformers, Voltron, Mask, Captain Power, etc. Okay, shows like that. And those shows sort of become a part of your existence in a way. And I don't say it to sound cheesy, but it's like even to this day, if some if when they say like, oh, we're gonna redo Voltron or something like that, or when they redid Transformers on Netflix, I did a couple of uh, seasons, I was like, okay, I'll check it out, like, because I'm interested to see what they'll do with the property, how serious they'll take it, and we're sort of in a golden age of television, so it's it's even feels different now. The shows may not even be for kids, accessible to kids, but maybe designed to appeal to older folks. All right, but when you're a kid, if these are your shows. You patiently wait for the episodes to come on because you can't just access them on your fingertip at your fingertips unless you tape them off of TV. All right, and, and then when you see the toys in the store, you're begging your parents for a for a you know whichever one you see that you don't have. It's just it's a part of you. It's something you sort of yearn for. And when the shows appear, you watch them, and the episodes are fine. I'm not trying to throw shade at any of them, but the episodes feel sort of stagnant and sort of like they're spinning their wheels in place, (laughs) which I guess could be a Transformers pun. Each show has its own plot, but the concepts sort of start to repeat over time, and the status quo, if you will, sort of stays the same. Now, you could take a look at it. I know I mentioned Voltron, and I know that show changes, Uh, mainly in Japan, though, because in, you know, 
yes, characters come in and disappear, but there aren't like consequences. Characters aren't dying or things like that, and you can blame the 80s parents for that. But it, it made me think of a a very long season, if you will, in the World Wrestling Federation, which of course we talk about a lot here on Top Man, where let's take WrestleMania to SummerSlam, April to August. The only content you have are episodes of Superstars and Challenge, which are primarily jobber matches and storyline advancements to a lesser extent. But I covered on Brightman the 1990 Intercontinental Championship Tournament, which starts with the first episode of Superstars after WrestleMania 6, and Ravishing Rick Rude challenges the Ultimate Warrior to a match via some pre-tapes. And those pre-tapes last for months! Without any sort of developments. It's like, uh, yeah, I know that... I understand the story is now Rude's challenging the Warrior, but here we are in June, and Ravishing Rick Rude's still working out in that gym, challenging the Ultimate Warrior. But the Transformers movie is a different experience. They take the characters that you know and love, and they put them on the big screen with a much higher quality of animation and production value, I might add. And this is no exaggeration, and this is why I think the film resonates and lives with you. Those episodes of the TV show are fine, and they definitely build your love for the product. But this movie, practically every five to six minutes, or such, and that might be an exaggeration, feels like its own version of WrestleMania. Because the characters change. Characters die. The presentation and production values are raised so high, you can't help but feel like what you're watching is the most special version of that thing you'll ever see. It's like watching these superstar tapings that are done in bulk, maybe at smaller arenas, maybe not, with minimal production values, and then you turn on WrestleMania in the Sky Dome, and it's this huge dome. People are dressed in tuxedos at ringside, which is, you know, specific to that show, but they have the little ring carts. The production value is a little bit higher. It just feels so special. Transformers the movie is like eight, 10-minute long WrestleManias. Like, I don't know any other way to put it. That's the best comparison that I could find. And with that being said, like, obviously, it's top, man. I want to get into the topics, all right? So we're going to have four smaller lists. Each one is going to be a top five. We're going to cover the top five songs from Transformers the Movie, the top five characters from Transformers the Movie, the top five quotes from Transformers the Movie, and the top five moments from Transformers the Movie, with a couple of honorable mentions thrown in along the way. And if that sounds like fun, stop spinning your wheels, start spinning around like a top, and let's cover our topics. Here we are, all right. Up first is going to be the music. Oh, boy. I'll tell you what, everybody. The music is such a large portion of this film. Take everything I said about the content feeling special, and it's amplified by the fact that they're using real music. Pure 80s hair metal and synth pop. Like the purest versions of it. Maybe the most simplistic versions of it, you could argue, but I think that's what gives it its charm. Including 
an absolutely amazing rendition of the Transformers theme song by Lion that sets the tone because it's the first big rock ballad you hear. Uh, I am, however, still waiting for an official version of this song to be released that has the robot version of Robots in the Space. It's a shitty impression, but it only happens in the movie. The score, and I've talked about film scores a lot, especially when I dove into the Snyder trilogy, but this score is amazing as well. Composed by a man named Vince DiCola. Vince, I hope I pronounced your last name appropriately because you are a legend. This is the same man that scored fan-favorite film Rocky IV. And if you listen to it knowing that, I mean, it's clear as day. But that's also, just as a side note, a film that also feels similarly paced and structured as the Transformers movie. Uh, Except Transformers is talk a little, and then a musical action scene happens, as opposed to Rocky IV, which is talk a little, and then a music video montage appears. And that's another thing, too. These set pieces set to rock songs are, are kind of basically just music videos with robots killing each other, which I'm all for. It's... It strangely influenced my love of films to this very day. I'm a sucker for a great action scene that's thematically set to a song. So, you know, it's not like, oh, Jet Li's got to fight a bunch of guys and they're just like, Headstrong to take you on! I mean, I might cheesily like that because that song was a song I liked when I was a kid. But the music and lyrics seem to match the feeling of what is happening on the screen. I I can't explain it. So this is my list right now, and honestly, it could ch- I could see it changing at any time and flip on a dime, but I really want to promote because unfortunately, the uh, the score didn't have a huge presence on this list. Just please, like, sh- buy it, stream it if you have like a, sh- a music streaming service. Get it some hits, support it. I- it's not going to change the world. All right, we might be. It's a little too late, but just support this fucking film. So my first honorable mention is a short piece of music that comes from the score. I think it's only like 40 seconds long and it's called Fishing. I It sounds strange and it takes place in the scene where little Danny boy, Daniel and Hot Rod are fishing on the outskirts of uh, Autobot City. It's a charming little piece. It sets the scene like, oh, here we are in nature, but it has like a robotic feel to it as well. It pretty much makes the list because it's the prelude to something earlier, or something that we'll talk about later. And when you put those two pieces of music together, it's just the ultimate, my God, I'm eight years old again, and there's not a problem in the world. My next honorable mention, Weird Al Yankovic's Dare to be Stupid, which of course plays on the planet of junk and perfectly encapsulates the look and feel of the Junkions, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it also gets me really excited for that Daniel Radcliffe Weird Al movie that just, just looks amazing and I can't fucking wait for it. But, you know, my dad was a big Weird Al fan. Uh, so I kind of knew this song already. And then when it was in Transformers the movie, it was like, Dad, Dad, look at this, listen to this, the fucking Weird Al song. Of course, I didn't say fucking at the time. So those are my honorable mentions. Number five by NRG Instruments of destruction tools of power play see it's like so ingrained in me like i can't even fucking say the name of the song without tourettesing a little bit of the lyrics this song really sets the tone in this film it's played 
early on when the Decepticons ambushed the Autobots in space. And you know what, folks? They murdered the shit out of them, and there are consequences, and your favorite Transformers character may die. I don't know any other way to put it. It's a badass song. It might be the hardest song. And I'm doing the finger quotes thing here because this song's not like hard. But it's definitely the hardest of the rock songs that appears in the movie. And I just love it. Number four, kind of a dark horse in my opinion because I don't feel like it gets as much love. It's a tune, one of a few, by Spectre General, which I have learned to understand is actually uh, a fake name of a band called Kick Axe, but the folks decided that Kick Axe was a little too violent slash suggestive to put on the back of a record for Transformers the movie. So it's uh, a fake band name. I kind of love it. It's Hunger. Hunger. I want it so bad I can't taste it. It drives me mad to see it wasted. And I need it so bad that it's I have to finish. Burn me. Oh, boy. And it's played when Hot Rod and Cup escape from the Quintessons. It's just a sweet, badass fucking song. It was, when I was a kid, my least favorite of the rock interludes into the show, or in the movie. Excuse me, don't you dare call it a show, Johnny C. But over time, I've really kind of fallen in love with it. And that's why it takes... Number four. Number three might be a bit of a surprise because it's only number three. By Dirk Diggler. No, I'm kidding. But that gives away what it is. By Stan Bush. Musical God Stan Bush, by the way. It is The Touch. You got to touch, touch. I mean, I'm not. I don't need to because this song is amazing. And we're going to talk later about... I mean, it plays a couple of times in the film. And it's always so appropriate. It's sort of the main hero song. You know, if you want to compare it to wrestling, Optimus Prime is absolutely our analog for Hulk Hogan. Alright? And he gets some great moments with the touch. As does Rodimus Prime. Which we'll talk about later. I, I don't know. I would love to, to know... Because I tried to look, because obviously this song is is parodied in the 90s film Boogie Nights, when it's contrived that the Dirk Diggler character actually sang this song, like when he was trying to transition from porn to other outlets of entertainment. Why was the song chosen? Is it just because, I mean, in a in a box, it is a super cheesy, like, 80s synth song? Of course, it's elevated into God mode by the fact that it appears in Transformers the movie in the way that it does. But I would just love to know if the person who picked this song, was it on a whim? Did they just cycle through like a cheesy catalog of 80 songs and pick it? Or maybe deep down, was this person some sort of a diehard Transformers the movie fan? If you're out there or if you know, hit me up on Twitter at TheJohnnyC because I want to know. I'm almost 40. I'm going to die someday. I'd like to know before I die. That sounds a little macabre, but whatever. Number two, Spectre General, yet again, with the absolutely fantastic, Nothing's going to stand in our way. Oh, no. Nothing's going to stand in our way. Why, why? Not tonight, night, night. This song gets a little extra love 
because when I did purchase the Transformers, the movie album at that CD shop, everybody in my friend group was like, what? What the fuck are you? What is this? And, and I tried to explain to them. I have one friend who's still a dear, dear friend of my heart to this day who is a musician. And he sort of understands how you can love all sorts of different genres of music. Not that my other friends are incapable of that, but you know how it is. Like if you're a mu- I have to imagine I'm not much of a musician myself, but he, he, get, he gets where you're coming from, whatever your song or music or genre choice might be. And we used to always lovingly sing this song. And uh, instead of, nothing's gonna stand in our way, 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 not tonight, we would finish with, not this evening, 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 which is stupid. That's the kind of shit that friends do, just little uh, in-jokes or what have you. This song, of course, plays when Hot Rod, who we will talk about, Defense Cup, uh, when they crash on the Quintessons planet and they're underwater. It's the underwater battle, and Hot Rod just fucking lasers the shit out of that, like, robot octopus, and he inks everywhere. It's just, I don't know, man. Nothing's going to stand in Hot Rod's way this evening. That's certainly for sure. And it gets all the way up to number two, eclipsing the touch. Controversial, yes. But like I said, this is my list. Number one, as if you couldn't guess it, because it's pretty much the big one I haven't talked about yet, it's the song that works in conjunction with fishing, the musical uh, ballad, the musical piece that I spoke about earlier. It's Stan Bush's second contribution. It's Dare. The, the, the video store where I would rent Transformers the movie had one copy of Transformers the movie. And I'm so glad it didn't crinkle and snap or get tracking fucked up. Because I can't tell you how many times I rewound the scene uh, where Hot Rod and Daniel ride to Lookout Mountain and the Decepticons invade and attack Autobot City, which is scored to this song. And it's just amazing. Hot Rod is a new character. He's supposed to be... I mean, it's Judd Nelson from the fresh off the Breakfast Club. I don't know if he's supposed to be like the youth-oriented Transformer. I mean, it makes sense. His name is Hot Rod. He's a fast car. He hangs out with the kid who's like a kid in human terms. Um, he's our main new character. He's the first Transformer of the new generation. <laughs> the new Transformers generation that we kind of meet and learn anything about. Uh, Cup the old ornery soldier is always giving him shit for being a hot rod and young youth. And this song encapsulates Hot Rod. It's like his theme. It plays when Hot Rod does badass shit. It has that sweet breakdown when Hot Rod sees the Decepticons. And he's like, Decepticons! And he starts firing away and it's like... And of course, it plays into so many awesome parts that we will talk about in our greatest moments. I don't want to shortchange the dare conversation. I mean, I don't really know what more to say or what more I can say. In a film, it's full of fantastic, bombastic cheese, entertainment, and shit that makes you smile. Dare continues to be something that regardless of how many times I hear it, watch it, or how old I get, it just gives it to me, man. It it gives me the feels. Cheesy, yes. A little silly to say out loud as a person who's almost 40, sure. But think about what it, what I'm really talking about here. Am I really talking about an 80s song? 
Or am I talking about something that's just sort of ingrained into my DNA because of my experiences with it? You know, we talked about fishing earlier. That That's the name of a song. Maybe fishing, the real activity, is something you did with, I don't know, your favorite uncle, your best friend, your mom, your aunt, your grandmother. I don't care. And it's something you did and it always made you feel special as a kid. And then when you fish as an adult, maybe it does that to you too. Is that silly? Well, no, of course not. I would never say that to a person. Now, I, I, I could fully take a little bit of, Johnny, this is the cheesiest, dumbest shit I've ever heard. I, I get that on the surface level. And I'm not trying to overindulge in it. Obviously, I, I quite enjoy reality uh, as well. But at the same time, there's just something about this tune. I hear it. It puts me in the mood. Having a bad day? I mean, I don't, I don't know that I've actually ever turned on Dare because I had a bad day. But if happenstance, I'm having a hard day, a shitty day, and it maybe is next on the playlist, it might perk me up for a couple of minutes. And, and honestly, isn't that what art is supposed to do? Good art, bad art, cheesy art. Art that moves you. And that's the reason for its existence. And for that reason, I'm eternally grateful to all of these songs. Every piece of music included on the Transformers soundtrack. But that will finish up the top five musical acts, if you will, uh, here on Top Man. Let's pivot over to our next list. We're in a position now for top five characters. Not a whole lot of setup needed here. I mean, I think it's pretty cut and dry. We're talking about characters. Obviously... Uh, based on how much I've already waxed philosophical on this film, the list could be a mile long. There's so many uh, characters that at least in this movie get a moment to shine. And please note that a character not being included on the list doesn't mean anything negative towards them. Okay, like I have massive love to go around for every character, big, small, medium-sized, etc., etc. Just to give you an example, Astro Train. He doesn't make the list, not even the honorable mentions. Uh, I love the toy, but Astro Chain has like one scene, and I think only one line. But even that one line, I have said in my real life, when he's all like, Jettison some weight, or we'll never make it to Cybertron! Maybe if I was like carrying something heavy. <laughs> like, ugh, this box is heavy! Jettison some weight, or we'll never... You get it. You get it. So, as you can see, there's plenty of love in my heart to go around, but these are mine. Um, First honorable mention goes to the grizzled veteran, Cup. Cup is sort of Danny Glover to Hot Rod's Mel Gibson, if you want to compare it to Lethal Weapon. Hot Rod's all like, oh, we should just go in there and, and you know, fight the Decepticons. And Cup's like, well, that's not how we did it <laughs> on Rybat 4 or whatever. Fuck. I'm just, I'm making stuff up. I realize that's not exact quotes. But Cup, you know, he's, he's not Han Solo. He's a little... The relationship's a little too different for that because Han and Luke are like, they become buddies, even though Han's a little more world-weary. Cup is definitely an old-timer, as he is called by Hot Rod. Not bad for an old-timer. Old-timer, that's something you'll never be. You know, all that stuff. And then he calls Hot Rod a turbo-revin' young punk. I'll straighten you out yet! When Hot Rod rams through the gates or the little barricade that... (laughs) For some reason, Cup is having the hardest time getting those robots to get that barricade straight. (laughs) A little to the left. A little more. (laughs) But I love Cup. The movie absolutely wouldn't be the same without him. Um, Tandem with that is the next honorable mention. Grimlock. Because Cup and Grimlock play together so well. No, tell Grimlock's story. 
Grimlock want to hear about petrol rabbits. Uh, Grimlock is indeed a badass. Like when the Dinobots jump out of the ship during the Battle of Autobot City, and he's all like, Dinobots, transform! And I feel like the transform, transformation, not only the... I can't believe I've gotten this song without doing an impression of that, and it was a shitty one. But it feels like slowed down, and the, the Dinobots get this epic shot where they transform. It's really cool. Grimlock, though, even though... <laughs> I can't... Tell Grimlock's story! <laughs> like, I can't tell you how much I love that shit. But a lot of the movie, he's saddled with Wheelie. <laughs> I don't know. I got no problems with Wheelie, but he's definitely not my favorite. All right. So, moving on. To the top five. Number five, Charles Foster Kane himself, Unicron. I love Unicron. What a cool idea and concept. A transformer that transforms into a planet. Not to mention, the Unicron is established as a threat right from the get-go when he destroys that, that civilization full of peaceful, loving robots, including that little kid robot that runs across the stream and giggle, screen and giggles. You gotta imagine that robot dies, right? And I mean this wholeheartedly, and please recall that this is a film that primarily viewed in my youth. Kind of scary. Kind of a frightening concept that Unicron shows up, much like Galactus, and eats your world. Or much like Bray Wyatt, I suppose. Just eats your world. A really cool villain. And the... F- the fact, the fact that the final cinematic set piece takes place as Unicron is transformed into his robot form, he's like a kaiju times a trillion. He's like the weapons from Final Fantasy VII times what's bigger than a trillion. I, I, you know, it's just he's it's such a cool. I mean, talk about getting the creative juices of a child flowing. You know, it just I don't know. Which, uh, actually, now, in retrospect, having said that sentence, sounds kind of crazy, and I might cut it. No, I'm leaving it in. But I really love it. Uh, and Unicron, of course, Orson Welles, who couldn't have given a shit less about this film. And you know what, Orson? Even though I'm a huge fan of Citizen Kane, you talk so much shit about this movie, I'm glad that it's your last movie. That puts you in your place, Mr. Wells. Number four. Might be surprising to find him this low on the list, especially since I can uh, compared him to Hulk Hogan earlier. It's Optimus Prime. Probably due to his lack of screen time, although I guess you could argue that my two and three don't get much more, but that's a conversation for in a few minutes. I mean, Optimus Prime is Optimus Prime. What more can I say? Iconic. So iconic that they brought back Peter Cullen to do the voice in all the Michael Bay Transformers films, for better or worse. I would say arguably for better at first, and then maybe for worse as we go on. I mean, I don't I don't want to get too far into how many awesome moments he has, because we may have to talk about those later. Spoiler alert. But, um, all we need is a little energon and a lot of luck. He's, he's the leader, but he's not an idiot. I don't know. He He's a badass. I, I, okay, I'm just dancing around it. Let's just get to it. He dies! He dies for our sins. Well, I don't know about all that, but he passes on the matrix of leadership. He passes on the, the beacon of being the figurehead of the Transformers series to uh, Robert Stack. Unsolved mysteries. We still haven't figured out how the fuck Optimus Prime died and then turned that crazy color of gray and black uh, when the Energon left his body. It's creepy and it frightens children. Catch us next week on 
Unsolved Mysteries. Update! Optimus Prime, still dead. Alright, enough Robert Stack, Ultra Magnus, but... Optimus Prime has the amazing confrontation, one-on-one, ultimate challenge, battle to the death with Megatron. It's kind of what you want, right? You just expect it to happen at the end of the film, and that's probably, again, one of the reasons why the movie kind of lives on. It flips the script, even for a child's animated film meant to sell fucking toys. So clearly the people involved cared. But Optimus Prime is felt throughout this film. I mean, it's ridiculous not to include him on the list. I I, want to talk about specific Prime moments later, so we're going to pause on Optimus, but you are number four, my man. Number three, but number one in my heart, Starscream. You're an idiot, Starscream. No, Starscream is not an idiot. Starscream is the perfect sneaky uh, heel that is also comic relief at the same time. Uh, Him shooting off his own foot and then yelling, Ah, my foot! Fucking amazing. Sorry for breaking your ears right there, but it's hard to do Starscream without yelling. Uh, His blatant betrayal of Megatron when they're riding on Astrotrain. Wait, I still function. Wanna bet? And then his awesome coordination scene where he shoots the trumpets. And then he pontificates and gives a regal speech wearing that crown in a cape. Starscream with a cape? I mean, how much cooler can you get? Um, I'm a little Starscream biased to begin with, so I, I realize he's very high on the list. But he's so... Tr- not a lot of characters, especially the Decepticons that aren't like Galvatron, or actually I wouldn't say his even cronies do. Not a lot of Decepticons really get moments to shine. Soundwave doesn't make the list, I'm sorry. Soundwave gets a little bit of time to shine, uh, Megatron obviously does, and then Starscream is, is obviously the other one that gets a lot of time. I can argue the Constructicons do as well, but Starscream is, I mean, I i always like the heels of the bad guys more. The fact that Starscream is like the underling who's always trying to get at the guy in charge and take a spot, uh, that sort of narrative or character archetype goes well with me. I really enjoy it quite a bit, and I, I just think Starscream's fucking funny. You know, he his voice is iconic. Again, he shoots off his own foot. I don't know. Him? <laughs> well, we'll talk about what I was going to talk about a little bit later. Number two, Megatron. What a fucking badass. Like, Galvatron's fine, but Megatron, so much better. All right? Not to mention, I feel like Megatron's design is better. I love the arm cannon. Such heroic nonsense. And then just executes Ironhide point-blank range like he's fucking Thomas and Martha Wayne. I mean, obliterates him. Die, Autobots! And then he transforms into the gun. Oh, I forgot to mention how awesome Starscream is using Megatron during the Instruments of Destruction battle. Uh, That part is badass, too. And then, the fight. The one-on-one fight with Optimus Prime. The heel tactics. Oh, mercy, Optimus Prime, I beg you. And, of course, when the attack on Autobot City starts, you know, he's like, uh, let the slaughter commence. Uh, uh, Decepticons attack. Like with, uh, It's just iconic shit. A complete and total badass. Uh, suddenly has a lightsaber, which we'll talk about in a little bit. 
Um, and again, it benefits from the fact that Megatron, of course, dies, but is recommissioned as Galvatron. You can sort of see that as the same character. I'm, I want to delineate specifically from the two, okay? Megatron is so good in this movie that I'm willing to cut him off right in the middle when he turns into Galvatron and say the performance in the first half and the, the beats that he gets are enough to propel him to number two, who I've omitted. It is Hot Rod. Now, Hot Rod doesn't have the sort of traditional hero's journey. Um, he, he never really resists the call to get involved. I guess you could say that the... I don't want to say the Matrix resists the call, because obviously, when he catches the Matrix as Optimus drops it near death, uh, it has quite a reaction to him. But Ultra Magnus is, quote-unquote, the chosen one by the individuals in charge. All right, But Hot Rod, like I said, he's more of a youth-oriented character. He's cool. He's always wanting to get into the fight. People are always telling him what not to do. So, of course, as a youth, you want to root for him. I mean, he's just a badass. Um, Judd Nelson, as I mentioned, uh, you know, which is hilarious because, of course, it meant, that meant nothing to me when I first saw it. But also, he gets the big moment. He becomes the next Hulk Hogan. Arise, Rodimus Prime. Optimus. So that sounded more like an orgasm, not Rod, than one accepting the call. But I don't know. It's it's kind of obvious. I will freely cop to that. I wish I wish I could present some sort of grand moment uh, that that brings it all into place. It just sort of makes sense to me. Hot Rod's the character we all sort of aspire to be when we watch these things as kids, though, right? We want to put ourselves into the action. Well, Hot Rod not only has a kid that he kind of takes care of and looks out for while his dad's off planet, but you sort of, he's our focal point. He's our eyes and ears into the story. We don't start with him, but once we really get going on Earth, we follow him practically the entire time with a few intermittent breaks here or there. And of course, he turns out to be the grand hero of the entire saga. One could argue his turn to Rodimus Prime in the TV show doesn't work as well, but the... Who cares about that? Okay, if any random Transformer fan finds us, I don't want to alienate you, okay? But Hot Rod, number one in our hearts with a bullet, and I'm sticking to it. Moving on, we'll head to the next part of the Fatal 4-Way of Top 5 Countdowns. It seems like a natural progression from characters, and that is favorite quotes. Now, guys, this screenplay was never going to win an award, and it's not the type of shit that you put up on a dorm room poster, like the first rule of Fight Club. (laughs) But like I've said ad nausea throughout this show, these things just live with you. At least they do with me. It's no different than pulling a random Jesse the Body Ventura or Bobby the Brain Heenan quote in my eyes. And just like with characters, an omission is not meant to devalue any other quotes or your favorite quote. If there is anyone out there that even feels the same way about this movie that would come and bring an argument to me, I I kind of welcome it. Not an argument, but like, oh, man, you forgot this one. Because I'll freely be like, oh, I fucking love that one, too. Uh, Fun enough, even Michael Bay found a way to work some of these things into his movies. You know what? We actually, actually, let's just get this out of the way now, okay? Uh, It's Elephant in the Room. I actually kind of really like the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. Just Transformers. I kind of thought Shia LaBeouf was hilarious. Like, I had no idea who this kid was, and he really had a presence, and I absolutely see why this movie got him the Indiana Jones gig. And I'm, I'm not trying to kid. You can, you know, make fun of me if you want. I, I, I enjoy the first one. 
Uh, the battle in Mission City at the end fucking rules, as does the highway scene where Optimus Prime fucking stabs Bone Crusher through the mouth with a sword. Can't really beat that. Uh, but my favorite part, I think, of the entire film, uh, and probably no surprise, it involves Starscream. It's the scene where Starscream, like, transforms in the air and then, like, slides into a bunch of cars. And then we go down and, and see Starscream from Sam's point of view. And he's, like, firing his guns at uh, Ironhide and Ratchet. And then he jumps into the sky and sort of transforms into the jet and just flies away. But I guess pretty much anything Starscream does in that movie works for me. Even though he only says, like, three things, they still find a, found a way to... Uh, to get his snarmy personality into it. I would say the third one's probably the second best, the Dark of the Moon. I mean, it has Leonard Nimoy in it, I guess. Uh, what else is it? Oh, <laughs> it does have Optimus Prime getting his foot stuck in a rope for an obscene amount of time, though. And it does do Starscream dirty. Well, maybe I'm talking myself out of this, but I think that the Battle of Chicago I thought was pretty cool. Uh, Age of Extinction's probably in the middle. It feels like a bit of a course correct and uh, it does definitely more... I mean, keep in mind, we're talking about the Michael Bay Transformers movies. In a vacuum, it does more good than bad. I guess that would make The Last Night number four. Even though, honestly, all I can remember is Stanley Tucci as Drunk Merlin. Oh! And and the absolute absurdity that is Anthony Hopkins, legendary British screen actor, hanging out with Cogman. I do love the way that he says, Cogman. Cookman, I need you to come over here and shine my shoes. But I just love the way that his performance is so like he cares. But I would love to see the dailies of him before the special effects were added. Of him, like, talking to a tennis ball as Cogman. And being like, Cogman, oh, the plans. We have, to, we have to save the world. And he's just yelling at this tennis ball. I feel like that would be worth its weight in gold. And, of course, the Revenge of the Fallen sucks big giant robot balls. Here we go, though, the top five quotes of Transformers the movie. Uh, first honorable mention. I mean, I say this all the time. More than I would probably like to admit. But after the uh, the, the next generation of the Transformers uh, flees Autobot City when, the, 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 when Galvatron and his buddies attack... We get a shot of Hot Rod uh, pulling the old Luke Skywalker and doing some Jedi lightsaber training with some sort of, like, Transformer training robot. And this Transformer training robot really takes it to Hot Rod, and Hot Rod gets pissed and starts slamming away. And this robot just begs for his life, and he yells, Time out! Time out! Time out! (laughs) As you can hear, I can't even say it without laughing. This one only, unfortunately, makes uh, honorable mention for me, but it's what sort of inspired that Michael Bay conversation. The classic Optimus Prime, one shall stand, one shall fall. I mean, talk about cutting a promo before a big match. Here we go. Optimus versus Megatron. Let's do it. Number five, in that same sort of scene... I say this to people all the time, and they obviously don't understand what the hell I'm talking about. It comes from Hot Rod, when Megatron tries to sneakily use a blaster he's hidden from Optimus Prime in their battle. No, you don't, Megatron! It's just... I don't know, there's a last slice of pizza, one of my kids is going for it, I run in front of him and grab it, and yell, No, you don't, Megatron! It just works for me, man. Number four, from... 
the life of Brian's Rekka. It is indeed the universal greeting, but I guess a ton of people say it. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. Ba weep grana weep ninny bong. I mean, it's legendary, right? What was that universal thing again? Never mind, I remember. <laughs> oh boy. Oh yes, number three. I. Mm, this does me. This gives me the feels. Um, it comes from a little guy, Rumble. When Blaster and Soundwave go one-on-one, it's like the iconic moment that all kids with Transformer toys waited for, right? Well, Soundwave ejects Rumble Frenzy, Rapat Ravage, attack! I can't do a good Soundwave. But uh, Rumble and the gang has to break into the little dome that Blaster and Perceptor are in. And what does he say? First we crack the shell, then we crack the nuts inside! Boom, 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 You know, the glass breaks and everything. Number two, it's Spock himself, Galvatron. As Starscream is on Cybertron, proclaiming himself king of the Decepticons, and I guess all Transformers, Galvatron interrupts the proceedings. And Starscream's all like, ah! You dare interrupt my coronation? And Galvatron delivers the classic line, Coronation, Starscream. This is bad comedy. <laughs> it's so fucking ridiculous and awesome. And then, of course, Star... Well, that that's the quote. But I gotta finish it, right? When else am I ever gonna talk about this? Galvatron, is that the... Or Megatron, is that you? Here's a hint. <laughs> he just tries forms and murders him. Oh, and Starscream again turns that same color of blackish gray that Optimus Prime does and crumbles into a trillion pieces before us, and I weep. But if you gotta go, go out strong. But Galvatron gets the nod for number two. Number one probably doesn't mean anything to anybody, but I just... It probably goes in tandem with... It, actually, it's kind of funny. If you look at number one, and then you look at my number one song, and then we talk about stuff later, it is Blitzwing. I had to look it up, because I didn't know it off the top of my head. I had to do some deep research for this one. During the beginning portions of the Decepticons' assault on Autobot City, Hot Rod and Daniel are outside the city, and they attack the ship, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Blitzwing and an Insecticon shoot the cliff that Hot Rod and Daniel are standing on, and they slide down it, and they're sort of, like, Hot Rod saves the day, but he lands, and he's not ready to fight back. Blitzwing, the Decepticon, transforms into a tank, and says, Come on down, Autobrat! And, I just love it. Probably... Because Dare is playing in the background, and we'll talk about what happens next in just a second. It's probably not your number one. In retrospect, it's not the it's not the best, but it's my number one. After all, this is indeed my list. And uh, gosh, talking about lists, it, it's making me weep. I was so excited, and, and here we are coming to the end, the final of the top fives for Transformers the movie here on Top Man. But it is indeed moments. These things are the total package. Songs, characters, quotes, they all contribute to these moments, which is why I wanted to save it for last. And you know what? No need to stall. Let's do it. The first honorable mention comes on that planet of junk, 
where ba weep gra na weep nini gran bon means so much to the Transformers. There's just this sweet sequence where they play Dare to be Stupid and the Junkions chase like Springer and RC and Daniel and Ultra Magnus, I think, is dead at that point. And Blur, oh, I can't believe we forgot about Blur. We got to talk about Blur. We haven't talked about Blur. We should probably talk about Blur. Okay, I'm not going to talk about Blur anymore. Also, anybody else get a, like, Springer and Hot Rod don't get a lot of interaction together. Uh, but I feel like they're in some sort of crazy love triangle with RC. Like, I feel like Springer's her boyfriend and he's like the big man on campus and Hot Rod's like the underclassman who's like really good at basketball or something. And R- But he also like plays the guitar and, and RC's really in love with him because he plays the guitar and he's like more soulful. But Springer's like Varsity Jock. They're the prom king, the prom queen. Do I read too much into this 86 animated child's film? But during this chase sequence... Something happens, and the Junkions, like, they turn into motorcycles, they crash, and there's a a great moment where the Dare to be Stupid matches up with this in terms of musicality, which isn't a word. (laughs) Scorpion wins. Musicality. The Junkbots switch places. The one that was the motorcycle becomes the rider, and the one that was the rider turns into the motorcycle, and uh, they jump onto each other and just, boom, right away, and it just, it works so well with Dare to be Stupid. I had to give it an honorable mention. The other honorable mention, we previously talked about first we cracked the shell, then we cracked the nuts inside. Well, then, you know, the little cassette tape uh, Decepticons get into this room to attack Blaster, and Perceptor's like, Blaster, save yourself! Blaster, iconic line, no way, two can play! And then he th- his cassettes enter the fray. And that rhymed, I didn't mean it to. So, Perceptor's on the ground in the middle of the frame, and one of the little good guys jumps off of his back and goes to attack Ratbat, I think. Now, Ravage, which is Soundwave's little dog, comes across the screen from right to left. He gets about three quarters of the way across and then stops and starts to backpedal. That's because Rewind, which I guess is this character's name, this little cassette tape, has a gun right in his face and then shoots him. And then Ravage turns around and runs away and Rewind keeps chasing him. It cracks me up every time. I love it. Number five, and a bit more serious. During the Instruments of Destruction attack scene, Megatron shoots Prowl, which I guess is the cop car, the rescue car, or whatever. The camera zooms in on Prowl's face, and fire and smoke sort of emerge from Prowl's mouth and eyes. And we pan out and you see that he was shot like where a person's heart would be and this motherfucker is dead and this is the moment where you realize the transformers are not going to be taken to a medical facility like duke all right they're dead and this shot is is horrifying but also really cool and of course in context it's not horrifying but considering what we're making this film for It's your visual indicator that shit is going to go down. Number four. The Insecticons are in that way. Wrong. They're our way in. It's just the fucking badass scene where Hot Rod and Cup are trying to get into Autobot City. And they use the Insecticons as a ramp to jump over a large gap. And they crush his skull. Fantastic. Number three. During the battle between Optimus Prime and Megatron, of course, in the background the entire time, 
the touch by Stan Bush is playing, and it's just fucking glorious. All right? Eclipsing that moment from WrestleMania 8 where Hulk Hogan and Sid fight to real American by a mile. During the scene, the song sort of has a more quiet moment. It's the, you're the best when going gets tough. You've been put to the test, but it's never enough. Somehow, someway, Megatron pulls out a lightsaber. I don't know where he got it, but I love it. And he slashes across Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime backs away. Megatron, straight out of like Akira or some other better anime, jumps into the air. And the camera follows him up and the moon is like silhouetted behind him. And he comes crashing down and Optimus Prime delivers a doomsday killing Superman-esque uppercut. It's a beautiful shot that clearly was animated. Uh, it's it's not something you would see during the normal animated cartoon like fair because obviously, like I said, the budget, the production values, the direction is at a much different level in this film. It's just it's a beautiful shot. I, yep, I don't care. It's nineteen eighty six Transformers the movie. I'll put it up. Well, I don't know how far I'll put it up there, but it's a really cool shot. I call it lovingly the lens flare uppercut. Number two. Going in tandem with Dare as my number one, and Come On Down, Otto Brat as my number one quote. Number two in moments is right after Blitzwing says, Come On Down, Otto Brat. Cup transforms into action, and Stan Bush starts singing hard. Dad, Dad, I believe you can survive. Cup drives right up to Blitzwing. Leaps, transforms into his robot form in the air, grabs Blitzwing's tank cannon on, and just moves it out of the way so the shot doesn't kill Hot Rod and Daniel. It's a perfect blend of pretty cool cinematic action, amazing song choreography with the action, and of course was recreated in Transformers by Michael Bay. Jazz does it to the tank. It was the Tank Devastator, incorrectly named or something like that. I'm not going back to look it up, but... It's just wow. But I couldn't put it at number one. Megatron must be stopped. No matter the cost. You got the touch. When Optimus Prime arrives in Autobot City, he makes that decree. He's going to finally finish this with Megatron. He must be stopped, no matter the cost. He transforms. His tractor trailer appears out of nowhere. I love it. And Stan Bush's The Touch penetrates our ears for the very first time. Optimus drives through Autobot City, recklessly destroying Decepticons with his fucking grill by running into them. And then the Decepticons fire back with blasters. So what does Optimus Prime do? He blasts off. Flies into the sky, pulls his gigantic fucking transformer killing hand cannon out of nowhere, and just floats and hovers down while shooting these Decepticons like the absolute fucking boss that he is. And Stan Bush reaffirms what we already knew. He got the touch, and he got the power. It's amazing. It's our hero moment. It's very well done, perfectly choreographed musically, visually. It just really gives you all the feels. And to me, is my favorite single solitary moment 
from Transformers the Movie in 1986. And folks, that's going to do it. I promised four lists, and the four lists have been delivered. My, my only regret is that we didn't get a chance to talk about every single moment, frame, line, music cue in Transformers the Movie. Because, like I said, for some reason, it just does it. It, it delivers and it continues to deliver as I rewatch it. Now again, at the risk of sounding silly, I get it. <laughs> Alright, it's not, you know, a cinematic masterpiece and achievement, okay? But it really is just such comfort food. And I think that's some of the best stuff that there is out there for people. And I may have waxed philosophical about it in the end. You know, I'm not going to go into my grave claiming that Transformers the movie deserves a spot on any sort of top whatever list out there. But damn it, these filmmakers delivered something, obviously, that has lasted. And they, they used at their disposal the tools that they had. These characters, these environments, these archetypes. Because in the end... You know, and we've kind of talked about these things. They sort of pull from all over the place. Maybe that's why it's so cool. It's kind of like attending a rock concert with four or five of your favorite bands and everybody gets a few minutes to do a set. I don't know if that makes sense because we get some Star Wars in here. We get some Transformers, obviously. We get anime. We get glam rock. I don't know. It's just a lot of fun. And of course, don't forget that at the end of the day, Maybe the most important thing, they gave us some new toys that we could beg our parents to purchase. And as always, thank you for listening to anything produced here in the Aqua Cave. Please remember to subscribe so you get notified whenever new content drops. I'm Johnny C. A winner is you. And of course, Ba Weep Grana Weep. Nini Bon to all. <laughs>